Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. It's time for another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, as always, ready to bring you a great show of tennis content in the sweet spot in the tennis calendar. Roland Garros in the rear view, Wimbledon less than two weeks away. A lot to discuss on this jam-packed show with some star-studded guests to help me do just that. First up, it's Steve Weissman, the voice of TC's called matches, host of TC Lives, done it all in the broadcast world. We break down his experiences at Roland Garros, what it was like in Paris for Novak Djokovic's historic win, the interviews he conducted on the desk. We break down grass court tennis, who we like, who we think could be struggling. A lot to discuss with Steve Weissman on this show. And then Bradley Klein joins the show for the first time. Current player, also a broadcaster at TC, makes his inside-in debut. He was the former Stanford national champion singles player, still competing on tour, coming back from an injury, but also getting into the broadcast world. We talk about his broadcasting duties, his hunger to compete and stay involved in the game, and just some general thoughts on the world of tennis. You're not going to want to miss this week's show. Steve Weissman, followed by Bradley Klein. Tennis Channel Inside In starts right now. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In. It's been a long time coming. It's all my fault. No one else's. <laughs> Steve Weissman's joining us uh, from the Santa Monica studios. Fresh off at TC Live. Right, right from on camera with Paul Anacone and Andy Roddick. You're here. Appreciate the time, Steve. It's always a blast when we get to do this. Thank you for having me as always. I, I hope, you know, it's not a one and done for 2023. No, no and you can't <laughs> see this, but like I got my Jordans on because I needed to wear. I don't have a lot of nice sneakers, but, you know, Steve's coming on. It's I got to have Jordans. On. <laughs> I, I told you that, or before we came yeah. on that I thought this was now going to be an on camera inside in podcast. Yeah, I, I saw Michelle McMahon. I uh, saw yeah. everybody else and they were yeah. all on camera. So I literally I dressed know. for the pod. Uh, but nonetheless, here I we dropped are. dropped the ball. You've been on a few times, <laughs> one of which is on camera, so you can check the archives. But we're going to work on the full studio outfitting. You've had a busy, I mean, the tennis calendar is busy for this time of year, but you've had a busy, not just tennis, other stuff, but busy run professionally, coming back from Paris, doing some projects here outside the tennis world. What's that whirlwind been like? They're really, I mean, it's never going to be a situation where we compare ourselves to players, but you're in Paris two weeks, you're back. The grind does not stop, and this is the heightened moment for it. Yeah, and it's great, right? We embrace the grind, and yeah. that's what, that's why we love it. But uh, Paris was amazing. It's my favorite city in the world. Roland Garros is our Super Bowl uh, at Tennis Channel, my mm -hmm. favorite tournament, and was there for, you know, 16 straight days of work, 12-hour days, you know, working with all my friends. Yeah. So, you know, John and Chanda and Prakash and Paul and everybody that's there, Martina, who was on the desk as well. Um, so, you know, what we do there is, is really special. And, uh, you know, I was there for probably yeah. 20 days and getting to interview all those players mm -hmm. is amazing. The, the Novak Djokovic one was really special, was you yeah. know, getting to see him make history 
first of all. And then, you know, we had 15 days of pure sunshine in Paris, which we never have. Yeah. It, it never goes mm-hmm. that way. And that's why they built the roof on Chatrier and they're building a roof on Longland. But they didn't have to use it. And then literally one hour <laughs> after the last ball of the yeah. tournament, yeah. the skies erupt yeah. and it is thunder and lightning and an absolute monsoon and john and i ken solomon told us where Djokovic is coming to the set and we're like okay great you know <laughs> yeah, we're ready yeah. ready to go whenever he gets here and we, we they closed off our whole set and put up the plastic yeah. and all that stuff and and wertheim and i are, are a little scared and thinking we might get hit by lightning and you never <laughs> know. i mean this was a legit yeah. monsoon after literally two weeks nothing <laughs> and novak I have so much respect for that guy. To his credit, yeah. after doing all of his commitments on the court, after doing everything in media, whatever, yeah. two hours later, 9.30 mm-hmm. p.m. local time, yeah. in the rain, <laughs> comes onto our set and could yeah. not be happier and, you know, uh, brought the trophy, the yeah. Coupe de Mousquetaire, and talked to us for 15 minutes, just yeah. dropping, you know, just knowledge left and right and such an introspective champion and, and awesome guy. And so that, that was a really cool way to, to end the two weeks. Uh, come back on a Monday, doing the Rich Eisen oh, show yeah. Thursday, Friday. So booking guests for that. You know, I got Wertheim on the show, got Cost on the show. Uh, you know, my buddy Luke Donald, uh, Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network. So, you know, I was really all focused on that. And that's like a three-hour beast of <laughs> yeah. a show. And then here I am doing, uh, you know, Queens Club and Berlin and Birmingham and Halle and, you know, back in the tennis mix. And then I leave for London in uh, less than two weeks. Wow. So it's really, and I'm glad you guys are going back to London. It's been a lot of, you know, not going in the last couple of years. It's just, it's been a very interesting time in the French calendar. And what you guys do just adds so much value to the production and the preparation of, you know, these interviews are great, but you have to be on your toes. You have to also be prepared for two players, right? Because it's whoever wins. And then it's how are you going to frame questions and what are you going to talk about? It's a joy, but also takes a lot of research that the public doesn't see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what I'm doing all day long, you know, (laughs) is literally following the matches. We get a list of our interview requests. And that doesn't mean we're going to get that player, Mm -hmm. but the requests that we're going to have and some matches we're requesting both players. So it's, you know, whoever wins is going to come and some are win only. Um, And, you know, you're going throughout the day with the first ons and looking at those players that you've request we've requested and after a first set, formulating a bunch of questions. Yeah. And then after the second set, potentially formulating a whole nother set of questions for that other player. And then, you know, going through the rest of the match. But I'm literally researching the entire day for everybody. And we may have, yeah. you know, back-to-back interviews of, of and you first ons. You might not know right away. Like, I guess the lead-in time might not be that long. Yeah, it depends. So at a Grand Slam, we have a lot more time mm-hmm. just because they have more responsibilities yeah. at a Charleston, at an Indian Wells, you know, something like that where we're getting them right away. It's much different. Yeah. Like you have a minute, whereas here there's definitely... Yeah. It's still an adrenaline rush. It's yeah. like, okay, yeah. it's like I'm on. Like, it's like, you know, competing a little bit. But I have so many. I could actually show you. Um, nobody can see this because we are not on camera, Mitch. Okay, but- I know. It's, it's a running gag. <laughs> but I literally... <laughs> have like these are all of my interviews for like all the players and it dates back 
uh, Charleston and, and whatever and all the questions I have so that nice. I can like cross reference and see what I asked somebody a couple of months ago and, yeah. and what's new and, and maybe something that uh, was fun off camera that I didn't get to yeah. and, you know, want to bring into this interview. And so y'all can't see it, but it's like a, a stack of five by eight cards of all these, you know, yeah. prepped interviews. And I don't know if everybody does this, but that's it's my, my process. I mean, the free, <laughs> the free flowing nature of it is pretty good. That fact that I'm looking at it now, like there's notes, but you're able to, and I've seen the interviews you've done where it's just, we're not sticking to a script. Yeah, no. It's great too. Um, the last time, I mean, a couple, about a month ago now, three weeks ago now, when Prakash Armitage was on, we did play the clip of you know Ans making you walk the catwalk. So okay, that has made the light of day in video things. So. In the in the podcast oh, video we, world, we showed the video world of it. We even got Prakash. Oh, so when he reaction. came back from Paris, he did the podcast. Yeah, we did a Zoom, oh, so okay. we were able to do a Zoom right when he got back because it was before the final. And I said, I gotta get your reaction to something. <laughs> and this. and and who did you say won? No, I mean, look, I don't pick winners. That's for the public to decide. But that, I mean, there's no one better than her, right? Like she's awesome. I mean, it, it was it's so cool. Um, you know, I've known her for a while now, and 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 that ha that's how it is with a lot of these players. Is now I've developed real friendships with yeah. them, and so they're coming up to the desk. You know, Dasha Kazakina is another one of my yeah. buddies, and like her and her girlfriend came up to the desk just for fun. Yeah. And and so she was texting me. She's like, security stop me. How do I get up there? I'm like, you're a top 10 player in the world. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean security stop? Yeah. And so, yeah. so then she, her, her and her girlfriend are literally just like, we're just like, you know, shooting. Yeah. Talking on the, on the, <laughs> behind the desk. And then uh, Novak's about to come up for the first time that we interviewed him. And I was like, do you want to stay for Novak? And she said, she, I probably shouldn't say this, but she was like, I had said something in the past about him. And like, so actually, no, like I'm going to go. And so yeah. she like snuck out and then he comes in. But, um, you know, having Ons up there and, and, and her kind of putting Prakash yeah. and I on blast on social great. media. It was and fun. it just shows kind of, you know, like you built up equity. It's a fun, loving experience. It's not rigid like some other interview styles and other places are. So uh, great to see that as always. And as we do transition into grass court season some other big milestones have been happening we're looking at the transition i got a shout out even though he lost today francis tiafo into the top 10 and maybe as impressive if not more impressive than that steve is now he's got a title on every surface that's, that's crazy impressive yeah. i mean he can do it on all surfaces but i think top 10 is was one of the goals mm -hmm. uh that he said before the year you know i want to make top 10 and I, I literally i was texting him the other day and i was congratulating him on making the top 10 and I said, top 10 tones, the best is yet to come. And I was like, Grand Slam champion tones on the way. And he responded, on the way. And mm -hmm. so, that you know, that's his next goal. And that's where his mind's yeah. at. He, he believes that he can win a major. Yeah. And I say, why not? I mean, w seeing him win on grass, yeah. seeing the way that he's been so focused on, on court and having his team that he's had for the past couple of years with Wayne Ferreira, mm -hmm. Jordi Arcanada as his hitting partner and buddy, you know, to travel on tour, Ian, his girlfriend, who's, who's you know, yeah. really, um, I would say, centered him and, and gotten him to a good place as well. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of him and, yeah. and the dedication, because I've known him for a long time, yeah. and he's one of those people that, you know, I've grown a friendship with as well, and, and you see him off the court. Mm -hmm. And I saw him at the hotel in Paris, he was coming from like a Nike shoot and I was going out to the courts and we were chatting for a while and he was just like, why, why aren't like 
text me like let's go to dinner while we're here like we're always here like mm-hmm. you and prakash like and we yeah. never get to hang out he's like let's let's yeah. hang out and, and you know he's training and practicing and playing and has all these commitments and obviously i'm working 12 hours a day and all that <laughs> stuff but you know i i really appreciate that and i and and i appreciate him and to see him uh-huh. get to this level now and yeah be so dynamic on the court, but I've said this before, Francis Tiafo winning a major will be the biggest game changer in American tennis. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, there are people that I would say, I, I mean, casual sometimes gets a bad connotation, but people that aren't like, like us, like locked in every yeah. week to tennis, but they know who Francis Tiafo is. You know, I have family members like that, that are like, well, I want to watch his matches. And that's a special quality that unfortunately not everyone has. The most impressive thing to me is, you know, you mentioned he's still only 25. Like, he's still super young. He's just been around so long. The maturity that he's shown and the attention to detail and being focused on the process, how he's handled the semifinal run of the U.S. Open, there was no letdown like there may have been in the past. Like, there was in Australia a few years ago. He says there's still more work to do, and he's been doing it. So that's the growth that he's shown as still a young tennis player has been the most inspiring to me. Yes, and and the focus but keeping the fun, mm-hmm. I think, is the biggest thing for him because yeah. the smile is not is still there. Yeah. The joy is still there. The excitement is still there, yeah. but it comes with mm-hmm. that focus. Yeah. And you combine those two, and now we're seeing yeah. what, what he could do. And by the way, he's, like you mentioned, 25 years old. So to judge somebody for what they they're doing at 22, I mean, you and I yeah. were in college. Like, <laughs> yeah. these people are in the spotlight, I know. and and I think uh, a lot of times are unfairly judged yeah. for certain things that when everybody was right. 19, 20, 21, 22 was not crazy and, focused. And a lot of times you just have to learn. Like it wasn't nothing went wrong. He just you know it was a tough position to be in and. You know, life experience gets you more prepared for it the second time around. Absolutely. So it's then it's great to see him back in the mix. Two top ten Americans now, first time in over a decade with him and Fritz, and there's still more churning, chomping at the bit. Like yeah. balls close, Shelton's in that range. Corda won today, yeah. so it's been there too. But again, the old guard on the other side too. Venus Williams winning a match at 43. <laughs> I mean, that's just. I mean, she's played someone born. I looked at that comparison where she's played people born all the way back to 1960 to 2005. So she's just 1960. Been doing it. Let's say that again. 1960, 1960. to 2005. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's her span of of players that she's played and. Again, Hall of Famer, first ballot, no question. Just loves the game. Yeah. At its purest sense, Venus is out there because she loves it. Loves the game, loves the competition. I mean, if you follow her on social media, she's out there grinding as well, Mm -hmm. practicing, spreading all that positivity. And to see her reaction after beating Camilla Georgie (laughs) three hours and like 17, 18 minutes on one leg. Yeah. Queen V, I mean, the throne is hers. I I I had a joke. It was... You know how much you have to love tennis to be ready to go up against Ostapenko on a Thursday, like just ready to do battle <laughs> against Elena because that's there's going to be some curveballs thrown at you. But no, it's it's inspiring stuff for Venus, and I guess we can segue into the women's side of things because after the French Open, Iga wins again, full marks, you know, establishing a reign in Paris. But you know, we were starting, or we are starting to trend towards this big three era where it's almost like the transition from the men where Sabalenka, Rabakin, and Iga, of course, have separated themselves from the field. But you, know, you see a result like today, Vekic wins, and then Sabalenka, I mean, the French Open semi stumbles. We can't just 
write them in in pen. Like there's still going to be upsets and wild cards and very dangerous players like Adana Vekic today that are going to be throwing some wrenches into that plan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Grand Slams are a different beast, even though it's still best of three on the women's side. And so there's a def- different pressure that comes with that, different mentality yep. that you have to overcome to be able to win at a Grand Slam. Uh, but I think you're right. I think we do have a big three, a little big three. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's not the consistency or dominance yet. I mean, mm-hmm. they have, they're going to have to do this for decades, right, to make it to what yeah. Rafa, Roger, and Novak are. But... Rabakina, Sabalenka, and Sviantec are the top three players in the world for a reason. Finally, Rabakina is ranked that way. I know. (laughs) And heading into Wimbledon, I saw the odds, and Iga Sviantec is the betting favorite. I disagree with that. I disagreed with Carlos Alcaraz being the betting favorite at Roland Garros. In no way. He hasn't proven that. Three out of five against a GOAT. Mm -hmm. He just hasn't done it yet. And until you beat, you know, he said, you got to beat the best to be the best. Well, you weren't able to beat the best. And so until he does that, to put him as the favorite over Djokovic is a joke in my point. But same thing for Iga here. Mm -hmm. She's never been past the fourth round at Wimbledon. So, in my opinion, Rabakina and Sabalenka are the two favorite. I would put Iga third. There's yeah. no reason to believe she can't get it done, but she has not proven to me mm. that she can do it at the All England Club. And I think Sabalenka, Mitch, <laughs> is my favorite because she's got something to prove. She was not allowed to play last year, and she's been very vocal about mm-hmm. that, right? You, players from Russia and Belarus not yeah. allowed to play Wimbledon. Year before, she made the semifinals. Now she's a major champion. At the Australian <laughs> yeah. Open, playing the best tennis of her mm-hmm. life. Her game is very dynamic on the grass courts. I, I think Sabalenka has a lot to prove and, to me, is the favorite heading in over Rabakina and then Iga. Yeah, there's a lot to break down there, and I agree with pretty much all of it. <laughs> I, I think it's so funny that Wimbledon, on the women's side, like is the one where you would expect the most parity because Iga hasn't done it. Sabalenka hasn't been here in a year. And Rabakina, again, won last year. Very good, but... Is she going to get to that stage where we're going to see consistently? That's such a hard thing to do on either tour. Go deep into the second week every single time. Be a surefire thing. It's, you know, now that she's not sneaking up on anybody. No, absolutely. And by the way, we cannot forget about Coco Goff and Jesse Pagula. No. You know, I, I would put Coco in that next group. Well, and I think so too, because Coco's problem was she's a great co court player, but she's going up against maybe the greatest, one of the greatest yes. players ever. So when your best surface is somebody else's best surface, it can be tough. I think this is a real opportunity for her here, depending on how the draw shakes up. And Jesse, I mean, you know she's going to fight throughout there, so she's not going to roll over. But I do think with Sabalenka, betting favorite, I would say I'm like 90% there. But there's those <laughs> moments, and we saw it in the semifinal, where she can kind of unravel. And it doesn't, it, and she's cut most of it out. Again, full props to her for that. But there's still, the serve goes away, and can someone like a Muhova, who, again, could be a threat here, get under her skin? Yeah, I mean, Carolina <laughs> Muhova, definitely a dark horse, has made the quarterfinals twice at Wimbledon before, coming off her yeah. first Grand Slam final. I don't believe in her the way I believe in Arena Sabalenka. Yeah. I just don't. It's not saying she can't do it. Yeah. Just my belief is not there on the same right. level as somebody who's now won a major, mm-hmm. has really figured out things mentally. The, what she said after losing in that semifinal match made me believe in her even more. She mm-hmm. she was not, you know, crestfallen, heartbroken. She was like, all right, you know, this happened, she and now I'm going to move on. She does get up. I, I mean, seemingly, if she got to a stage against an eager Rabakina, that's when I'd be like, I like her a lot more. Like, if she's going to get tripped up, it might be to somebody that's not quote-unquote, on her level. But for sure. big matches, she's shown she can play and beat any of these players. Yeah, I mean... 
Ti- girl with the tiger tattoo. I, I, I truly think that this is a great surface for her. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see when the draw comes out, right? Mm-hmm. And where, I guess, Rabakina ends up. Which side is she going to be on? She was on Iga's side at Roland Garros. They never got to play each other. I mean, Rabakina actually didn't lose at Roland Garros. She had to withdraw from the tournament mm-hmm. because of her allergies and wasn't feeling well, which is fascinating to me that on a grass court, she doesn't have the same yeah. allergy issues yeah. as she did in Paris, which is clay, but maybe she just doesn't have grass allergies. It's something else, but that'll be interesting. You know, which yeah. side she ends up on. Do you think Egan's the last point on this, this surface, what is it about it that I wouldn't even say gives her problems, but she's not able to dominate like she does on clay or even hard court. I think she needs a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think her shots are not as effective on this surface because, you know, she has so much spin and puts, so much shape on the ball and that's not how grass court matches are won and so it takes away some of her dynamic qualities and I think the movement is the other thing on clay she moves like she was born on that surface whereas on grass it's a totally different type of footwork yeah and so can she learn how to do that absolutely I mean I saw Francis Tiafo going to a ball today it was the first point of the match (laughs) against Corda and I I was telling Paul I was like he wants to slide but he can't because then he would (laughs) injure himself it's it's wild um and Carlos Alcaraz made an interesting point he said he was watching videos of Andy Murray and Roger Federer and that's Mm -hmm. how he wanted to emulate the movement on grass and he added to that I can't watch Djokovic because Djokovic will literally slide on grass and and will win, right? And yeah. and he does something totally different that my body cannot mm-hmm. do. So Djokovic is in another realm. Yeah. Maybe Ego watches some Djokovic videos mm-hmm. and learns how he moves yeah. and, and can emulate that. But I think it's it's the shape that she puts on the ball. It's the movement on clay. Um, but that's not to say she can't figure it out. Yeah, don't try this at home. Slide like Djokovic, or even like Ego <laughs> sliding into a backhand on clay. It's a, it's got to put a safety mark. It's beautiful there. though, <laughs> it is. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Uh, more Steve Weissman here on Tennis Channel Inside and transitioning to the men's game. And, and, and that's such a good point about Alcaraz as we can get into that. Looked a little shaky against Rinder Kinnick in that match, and it was a third set tie break. And it is getting more familiar is going to be his issue with this surface. He doesn't have the reps. He doesn't have the experience yet. There's plenty of time to get there. But it also highlights, Steve, the fact that the season is so short. You don't have a lot of time to get reps in. It's three weeks, and then wait till next year. No, it's crazy. I, I, I'm I a believer that we should have a Masters 1000 on grass at another week. Mm-hmm. And if you want it to be one week, if you want it to be two weeks, whatever it is. But it's a disservice to the sport when – Arguably the greatest tournament in the world 
you know, it's Wimbledon, right? I'm with I mean, you like, there. Yeah, I got. I'm with. You I there. love Roland Garros, but, uh-huh. but like, yeah. In essence, Wimbledon is the Masters. It, it's tennis's, you know, golden event. Mm-hmm. And and that's no offense to the U.S. Open, Australian Open, mm-hmm. whatever. It's Wimbledon. So the fact that that doesn't have a Masters leading up into it, it bums me out. You know, it should be a little bit longer of a season, and then we get more grass court tennis, which I think is a is a beautiful part of our sport. Yeah, we have a ton of clay court events. I love clay. We have a ton of hard court events. Love hard courts. Yeah. But grass is just different. And growing up, there's some sort of magical quality <laughs> yeah. about the it. The acoustics are great, by the way. The acoustics hearing, are yeah. great. Also, yeah. it's this thing that a lot of us are not able to play growing up, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of grass courts nope. out there. First time I ever played grass court, I'll never forget <laughs> for the rest of my life. I hit with Mark Woodford at Mission Hills, okay. you know, in, yeah. in uh, the desert here in California slipping sliding you know didn't know what i was doing yeah. but just being on that surface yeah. was special it's just so special um so yes to your point you know not a lot of time you're kind of in and out and wimbledon's done you, you go to newport yeah. for the hall of fame and then you're on to the hardcore season. When, we, when we saw the odds for i mean it's no secret why like Djokovic is a resounding favorite to win this and keep the calendar slam chase going but I mean, he's done it so many times, but he's also so comfortable playing his style out here that a player like Alcaraz or even some of the other young guys like Holger Runa that have done well, they're just not, not that they're not built for it, but they haven't had time to adapt their games to this surface. Yeah, they grow up on clay. And so everything on grass is a little different. I'm always fascinated, you know, now being uh, part of the ITA, that so many coaches go recruit at Wimbledon. Go to Paris. Like, what are you doing at Wimbledon recruiting players that have never stepped a foot on grass? You're yeah. not going to learn anything. Like, you're yeah. getting a great trip out of that. But, like... <laughs> Find the hidden gems, maybe. Like, the guy, the players that don't look hot, and they're like, well, it's just grass. They don't know. You know? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, I, results yeah, at a grass court yeah. major mean nothing yeah. when it comes to college tennis, where you're never going to play on grass. Yeah. By the way, you're not playing on clay either. Like no. you're, But you can find that player that's going to grind for yeah. you yeah. and is going to be amazing at five or six. Mm-hmm. But, but back to your Djokovic point, because real quick... One of the questions I asked him at Roland Garros was, you've accomplished all these you know, crazy things, but there still are some things, somehow, some way, that you have not done yet. What yeah. is the next major significant achievement that you would like yeah. to break record? Yep. And his first answer was, I want another shot in New York. Mm-hmm. In New York. Mm-hmm. Mitch, he's won Australia. He's won Roland Garros. There is that little Wimbledon event yeah, <laughs> before New York. Formality. And he came back and he said, yes, I understand I, Wimbledon. You know, I still need to win Wimbledon, and I've won it the last four times I've been there. Uh-huh. But that, you know, once I get that, I want another shot in New York to win the Grand Slam, and that said a lot to me that he's already thinking about yeah. that at 36. You mm-hmm. know, that it's not 23; it's actually 25 and a Grand Slam. <laughs> and that's yeah, yeah. Arguments are over at that point. They're pretty much already over, but that they're over they're statistically. Over. No, they're over they I'm statistically. Not, yeah. <laughs> Who are some players? Because unfortunately, I mean, I think one of the main reasons the odds are so skewed, not just because of Djokovic, is there isn't the Federer Nadal factor anymore. Berrettini, Kyrgios, not healthy guys that have done well. Who in the mix do you think could be interesting? I'm not going to go as far as they challenge Djokovic directly, but who are some players that you could see doing well at Wimbledon? Taylor Fritz. Mm. I think Taylor Fritz could do really well. Made the quarterfinals last year, is still kicking himself for not winning that match and making the semifinals. So I think he he comes in with a chip on his shoulder, knowing that he got to the top five 
yep. you know, and but he wants these incremental steps like top 10 was a big deal, but that wasn't it. It's top five, then it's top three, then it's one major champion. Like he still has all of these goals. And I think this surface suits his game really well. Big serve, big forehand can do it all can come to net killer backhand as Mm -hmm. well. And he has proven that he can do it at that level and against the best. I mean, so close against Nadal. So I think Fritz is somebody to keep Mm -hmm. an eye on. You got to keep an eye on Alcaraz just because of the fact that, yeah, you know, the youngest guy ever to get to number one in the world and really can yeah. do anything on a tennis court. So yeah. I don't know if he will do it because once again, he hasn't mm-hmm. proven it. Yeah. And I think it's always tough for me to bet on somebody that yeah. hasn't proven that they can do it yet. But those would be two that I'd keep an eye on. No, there's, they're good choices. Some other names I had, uh, I'm not counting out Hubie on this surface. He made the semis before. Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of built for it as well. Uh, we'll see Sasha's Vera of what he's looked like because I think he's starting to find it. And, you know, I mean... <laughs> I know it's still going to be a tall task to go deep into this tournament. And then a guy we talked about earlier, I think Sebi Korda is a great grass court player. He really is. I mean, Roddick was saying on TC Live that he thinks he's perfect for grass, everything about his game. And today we were talking about his serve. I mean, he had 15 aces, won 90% of his first serve points, and we're like, he could still even do better, Yeah, which is <laughs> which It was is routine incredible. today, which is crazy how well Tiafo was playing. It really was. Um uh, Thoughts on a guy like Medvedev, though? He wasn't allowed to play last year. He's higher than most on the odds list. You know, a hardcourt guy. I think grass is in the middle, right? He can't stand clay. He loves clay. He loves hardcourt. Grass is like a... He did have that wipe out yesterday, but he gets some <laughs> results on grass. He so. does. He, I mean, he made the finals last year yeah. at uh, Hala, where he's at right now. So why not get back there again? Um I don't count him out on any surface. And this is a guy that, you know, finds a will and a way to get it done. And so best three out of five, he's proven he can do it as well. Right. At the major level. And and I think he can challenge those top guys. It's just, it doesn't look great, right? Mm-hmm. Seb Korda <laughs> looks great he, on a grass court. Medvedev? Yeah. But Medvedev doesn't look great on a clay court either. I, he's just Daniil Medvedev, and he's he, awesome. He's a content <laughs> machine, too. Like, the guy is, like, one of the best quote, maybe the best quote in tennis right now. What I appreciate about this is that, you know, for all the talk about Djokovic being the predominant favorite, he's earned that, maybe we're missing some guys. The floor of Medvedev is so much higher than most players. You know, you're, like, you're getting a match-tough guy who knows how to win, who knows how to fight, and three out of five is not going to wilt. And on and grass, how about a serve? How about, yeah. Such a great serve. Yeah. I mean, he can win free points very easily yeah. on the grass. Return position is the thing, right? Because like, you don't have time to back up. And he's not the only one. But I favor, obviously, more than guys like Casper Root or other clay court, even maybe Holger, who's not used to this. They've got to tweak their games even more than Medvedev does. How about Casper Root spending the last week just hanging out at the weekend concerts? It's like, good work if you can get it. <laughs> he's gone to multiple yeah. concerts of the weekend, posted these amazing videos, just dancing and living his best life. And I absolutely love that for Casper Root. We're going to get to a point where p- more players do this if you can back it up. Like, he's got the clay results, hard courts big because he's got the U.S. Open yep. points. He, he's not prioritizing one, and that's okay. Like, he, he can... Find it another way. So. <laughs> and and by the way, I'm not counting yeah. him out for Wimbledon no. either. He can totally make a run into the yeah. second week. He's yeah. just not, you know, yeah. preparing the same way that everybody else is. And that's fine. You know, like nobody thought he was going to make the final at Roland Garros again. And he did. So, so what would you say about another guy we haven't mentioned? Stefano Tsitsipas. A lot, lot in the news with this guy. But for the te- for this part, the tennis side of it, lost to Jari today, who was a tough cookie for sure. But 
Tennis-wise, a guy who's been a little uneven, I think it's fair to say. Absolutely uneven. But I don't think you can just talk tennis with Sitsi Pops. No. Like, with the Inside In podcast, I mean, we got to, like, have you delved into Sitsidosa yet? I have. I <laughs> Funny, last week, timing is everything in life. And last week's guest was, you know, John Lloyd. And uh-huh. I said, hey, that's last, right. Last I question. did watch some of that. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. any advice? He was on camera too, I think. No? Zoom, you know. Oh, okay. If you were Zoom, if you were doing this at your place, <gasps> we could do it. The in, okay. the in studio stuff's a little tough. <laughs> but I, you know, and I obviously want everyone to be happy. Him and Paul Vidos are great. I just think for the on court side of it, his mental state is a key thing because mm-hmm. sometimes he's feeling it and he's, you know, as good as anyone. And other times he can kind of dip a little bit mentally too. And I'm not saying that exactly happened today, but to go on these two-week runs, you got to kind of be locked in. <laughs> I'm interested to see where Bedosa is going to, like, is, are they staying together? Is she going to be in? Is she playing? Like, because that's the other no, thing. No, yeah, that's the so thing. Like, but is sure, she going to yeah. be there? Yeah. Like, huh. supporting him? Yeah. Making videos? Making content for the rest of us? Because I'm all about the content. No, like, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love, like, yeah. Jem's life, they got married. They have a kid now. And and they're doing great. And Svitolina's back and better than ever. Jem's life proved that it can work. Yeah. There's other, I don't want to say all of them. There's other examples that didn't work. But hey, sure, it can work. It might not work. And it could be good for their tennis to, as we've talked about, like relate to certain things. But I actually just expect more from him on grass than I've seen because I feel like his game would be suited for it. Because his net skills are as good as anyone in his era. Yes, 100%. I've said this every year for the past three or four years that I've picked Stefano Tsitsipas yeah. to win Wimbledon, and he hasn't done it. So <laughs> so now, once again, like he's proven that he hasn't done it. I still believe like you do yeah. because the game looks like it's there. It's that backhand that has been an issue. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the time on the yeah. backhand on this surface to be as effective as he is on clay or hard court, and you you made a great point with Medvedev standing so far back like yeah. you can on a hard court or a clay court. I don't think you can do that mm-hmm. on grass and win Wimbledon. Yeah. Like, can you do that and win a 250? Maybe. Yeah. I just don't think you win Wimbledon three out of five by standing, you know, in the Royal Box. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that's yeah. a possibility. <laughs> it is so tough, and I don't want to understate this. And Like, it is so tough to compete at this level. And when you do get to the final, the second week, the quarterfinals, the semis of a slam, you're playing against players that aren't just so gifted. They're so smart that they will target and, you know, pick on any weakness you have. Yeah. Men's side or women's side. So step sits upon his backhand. I mean, when he goes up against Alcaraz, Alcaraz just goes right at it and it breaks down. If I'm Steph, I'm serving and volleying 80% right. of yeah. the time. Yeah. Like I, I'm just employing the serve and volley. Medvedev too. Yeah. You know, wh- why not? Come forward. He's might good as well. Might as well. I mean, what can you do? But, hey, Steve Weissman, this has been a blast. I want to wrap it up with a few things. One being we do have to shout out. The sport can be cruel at times. Annette Contevate retiring at 27, former number two in the world. Just not getting the, you know, not just go out on her own terms, but have a career cut short because of injuries just proves that, you know, this is all... This is all relative time-wise. Like, nothing is guaranteed, and we can't expect players to last forever because this is the business and brutal side of sports. Yeah, we see Venus Williams at 43 winning matches. We see Novak Djokovic yeah. at 36 saying that he is in the prime of his career. And then we see Annette Contivate at 27 having to retire because her body mm-hmm. just couldn't mm-hmm. keep up with her with her tennis. And yeah. it, it is sad to see. Uh, she was a pleasure to watch, a pleasure to have as a part of our sport. And it was a few years ago at Indian Wells when I was working for the tournament and doing some suite visits. 
And most of those visits were with Annette and Bianca Andrescu. And so I got to spend a lot of time with Annette. And she was so awesome. Huge yeah. Game of Thrones fan. Yeah. And was a pleasure to, you know, work with and interview and, and kind of like go into these suites and, and entertain the guests. And so I just wish her all the best. Yeah. Uh, in her life, you know, whatever she wants mm -hmm. to do, you know, the we're open here at Tennis Channel. Mm -hmm. She wants to come do some guest commentating, oh, yeah. analyst work. Why not? Um, the players loved her. You know, yeah. you can see by the response that she got on social media. So what a, what a great career, though. Two in yeah. the world, six titles and arguably one of the greatest indoor hardcore players that we have seen in the last couple decades. That run she went on end of 21 was uh, immaculate and look, a pioneer too because Estonia didn't have a lot of tennis or athletic prowess. Kaya Kanepi and Ed Kontave yeah. just killing <laughs> it for on. Estonia. <laughs> well, I got to give you props too on the way out here. ITA Board of Directors, which you mentioned, you know, getting involved in the college game. How did that come to be, and, and what's the most exciting part of that new role, new endeavor? I mean, I've always been a big college tennis fan. Uh, I think that the pathway from college tennis to the pros has never been greater than it is today, and I've been friends with a lot of the folks on the board. The CEO, Tim Russell, uh, also went to Northwestern University. He's been a friend of mine for a long time, and uh, I used to cover matches, the, the Malibu Oracle Masters back in the day, the fall championships when they were in Arizona, yeah. and so I've always been a part of college tennis I was a volunteer assistant coach for the women's tennis team at Loyola Marymount University for a couple of years and uh, it gave me a lot of joy to to coach to teach to be on the court with these players and try to you know motivate them to achieve greatness and mm -hmm. so uh, to be you know have the privilege of of helping college tennis in any way I can and um, you know support the board of directors and kind of take it to the next level and get it on TV, mm -hmm. which I think college tennis should be more yeah. on television. I think it's a wonderful product that uh, doesn't get enough recognition. And what we've seen just from, you know, a couple of years ago when Ben Shelton and Peyton Stearns were the two NCAA champions, both now inside the top 60, I believe <laughs> in the world, yeah. um, you know, Peyton just had a, a a, a parasite in her body. She just posted the other day, so she's had to take some time off. But what an incredible run for her to get inside, yeah. you know, the top 100, yeah. top 60, where she's at. And obviously, Ben Shelton making, you know, <laughs> the, the quarterfinals has, yeah. has been incredible to watch. So I just uh, believe that we're at this, Emma Navarro, who's, you know, at <laughs> career highs right yeah. now, former NCAA champion. We're at this inflection point where you can go to college get an education, maybe it's one or two years or maybe it's the full four years, and then make that transition to having an incredibly successful pro career and anything I can do to, to help that cause, you know, I'm privileged to help. Well, it's very uh, awesome and inspiring, and, and it does help these players, too. Ben Shelton going, they brought this up, going to Australia, winning a road game. Hey, that's like a, an SEC college event, you know? 100%. <laughs> and uh, it's just great to see. But, no, your, your impact in the game, keeping going strong. And I appreciate you coming on Inside In. It's my fault again for the camera situation. <laughs> but hey, I'll dress up for you again next time. It's TC, all good. A TC vet now. We're celebrating 20 years, and, you know, you're you're racking up the years here, too. So, I mean, Eighth it's... Eighth year. It's incredible. Just, it's like it's such yeah. it's such a privilege and I'm so grateful to be here and, uh, you know, and, and be a part of mm -hmm. this team and this family. And so um, we come together so many weeks of the year mm -hmm. and are able to, you know, cover these great events. But what, what separates Tennis Channel is the people, yeah. you know, and, you know, it, it's my pleasure to, to do oh, this yeah. podcast. So, you know, you yeah. sent me the text the other day. I was like, 
Finally. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting for my call. I know. It's yeah, balancing it out. But hey, no dog days of summer here. We got events yep. and action all summer. So Steve Weissman, pleasure as always. Thanks for coming on Inside In. Anytime, Mitch. Huge thanks to Steve Weissman. Always a blast talking shop with him. He's on TC Live as the host all week, and he will be in London for Wimbledon. So catch him on the TC airwaves pretty much at all times. But thanks again to Steve. Now we talked to Bradley Kwan, his Tennis Channel Inside In debut. A lot to discuss about his playing career, which is still going. He's been hampered by some injuries, but still competing at as high a level as there is. He's a former national champion at Stanford, and he's also a natural in the broadcasting world. He's done a great job this week on T2's coverage of Queens Club Halley and the other tournaments. Here's Bradley Kwan now talking about his past, his present, and his future in tennis on Tennis Channel Inside In. All right, now with us on Tennis Channel Inside In, joined now by a player who is currently playing, doing some Tennis Channel broadcast work as well, former national champion at Stanford and former junior number one in the world at the time. It was Bradley Kwan. Bradley, welcome to the show. Long time coming. Appreciate you taking time to do this. Thanks so much for having me on, Mitch. The uh, the initial st- start of this, so everybody that starts broadcasting, it's kind of it's they get thrown to the fire. You get a chance to call a lot of matches. You got to come in at weird <laughs> weird hours. How you been liking the process of calling matches, and just getting thrown to the wolves? I love it. It's been a great experience for me, especially when I've been injured. Just being able to stay involved in tennis, look at it from a different angle. It's been really fun to learn from some of the great broadcasters that we have here at Tennis Channel and, and pick their brain about nuances it's it's a whole new skill i've really enjoyed doing a little bit of both done some work at t2 calling matches by myself doing a little mm-hmm. mix of the host and analyst role and also at tennis channel doing the more traditional player analyst role it's it's uh, two separate skill sets i'd say how did the opportunity come to be was it something that you sought out did you get approached i'm always fascinated to see and i know you're someone that's you know, a life breather of tennis and you want to just stay involved in the game. But how did that opportunity come to be? Yeah, so I was injured in 2021 and was trying to get involved at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. start there, and was just going out to the U.S. Open on a whim. Like, I was going to go see my buddies. I wasn't playing at the time, but they were out there. So I was going to go spend a few days. I'd started hitting again for the first time in a year and was trying to get some of the excitement and passion back that can get sucked out from being injured. And they were short broadcasters in New York and I just jumped right into the booth. I remember getting the call literally on my flight to New York saying, do you want to, you know, do you want to get in? And I did nine straight days in New York, loved it. Uh, That was definitely thrown right into the fire. I think I showed up in New York (laughs) and was calling the first match at 11. And then from there, it just was like, oh, well, uh, this is something that I really enjoy. I think that my mind, like, it's really fascinating to see the the court and see the matches mm-hmm. from a more objective point of view as opposed to being on the court yourself and just see yeah. different strategies, what players are trying to do against each yeah. other that you might not pick up when you're so invested in it yourself. Yeah, that's a point that a lot of players that are currently still active bring up in that you're able to see it from a different perspective. And the flip side is you're offering something that, you know, people, obviously, general people like myself don't have the ability to do, but also even former players, even if they're legends, they're not currently on tour. So you're seeing your counterparts 
and you're able to offer insight because you do share a locker room and you see them on the practice courts and you've competed against them. Well, yeah, you're up to date on, yeah. I mean, the game has evolved. Mm -hmm. The game is constantly evolving. I've even noticed that when I first started on tour to now, how much has changed. Yeah. And every time I've come back from a surgery, I, I'm like, well, this is different. Yeah. Uh, so it's constantly evolving and it helps being out there. A lot of the guys, even today, I, I'm commentating, calling Sonigo and Sinner. And I played Sonigo yeah. last year in Cincinnati. We look at Bublik and Struff, and yeah. I, I've played both those guys. So you can give that firsthand experience of what it's like to face them, also what their strategy mm -hmm. is maybe against you versus someone else. How do they handle yeah. different moments in the match? Everyone handles pressure a little differently. Some guys... Everybody gets nervous if they tell you yeah. otherwise. They're <laughs> they're lying, yeah. um, but it's how you handle it. So you can you can add those nuances to the broadcast that I think are interesting to the viewer. Were you somebody that always felt like you'd be involved in tennis? Because I know not just broadcasting, but you've done some volunteer coaching when you've been sidelined, and you know it seems like that's just been a part of who you are. Is that just something you see yourself doing, just always being involved in tennis? Uh, uh, funny enough, no, <laughs> uh, you know, I went to Stanford yeah. and got my degree in economics thinking that I give myself options to not have to stay in tennis yeah. if I don't want to. And just, I think that's something cool about going there, but also playing tennis, traveling around the world. You get this, I guess, cultural worldly experience and yeah. realize that there's so much to offer. That said, I still love playing. I, when I was injured, I just wanted to find ways. Like, I could yeah. never fully go and get another job. Even when I missed 21 months mm -hmm. uh, in 2015, 2016, I still had that urge. to. Yeah. I wanted to give it another run, and I'm so glad I did. So I was trying to find ways. Like, how can I stay involved in tennis? How can I keep my mind sharp, see the game? But also, like, I need time to make sure that I'm keeping up with the rehab and just that mental and physical process to come back from a surgery is yeah. a big hurdle. We, you see a lot of guys on tour struggle yeah. with it um, on both sides, men and women. So I wanted to go back to your, you know, origin story. You've got the Midwest roots. So I knew we got along in that yeah. regard. Your mom played tennis at Iowa and you've got you know family back in the Midwest, but you've grown up in SoCal, which is a hotbed for young junior development. You got to number one at the U18 level in juniors, and, you know, it's an incredible accomplishment. But I just want to know what your attitude was for your junior career because a lot of players, people past and present, had differing attitudes of it, and you were able to parlay that into a good, a great college career and then a good pro career. What was your attitude in juniors? Were you chasing that top spot? Were you just riding the wave? Did you have a bigger picture in mind? I had college tennis on my college mind and getting a scholarship. Yeah. I went to public school. I didn't start tennis till I was 11. Wow. I played that's, a lot of other sports. That's way later than most. Even, yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I loved all the other sports. I actually picked up tennis because I was playing baseball, basketball, and soccer. <laughs> and I gave up soccer. Hadn't like, I, it was a, had to choose between baseball and soccer and they were kind of pitting yep. each other together. Um, and I was like, I had, I remember having I remember having <laughs> to miss practice yeah. to go play all-stars in baseball and mm. like coach didn't like that. And I, soccer was the third sport. I was like, well, all right. And this like, is like age 10. Uh, this was 11? 10. Yeah. I, yeah wow. The summer I was 10. I was like, well, yeah. all right. Then, you know, 
screw this. So just, I'm not going to play soccer. And I needed yeah. something else to do. So I picked up tennis. I'd go down and play with a buddy of mine, like from baseball. We'd just go down to the courts. I hadn't had any real instruction. Yeah. We'd just play, we'd go play two out of three sets. And I was hooked. I started taking some lessons. Yeah. And I mean, everything quickly. By the time I got to high school, that's when I gave up every other sport and focused on tennis. Wow. And then, it, and then you took to it. I mean, there's a lesson in there in the sense that you were a late bloomer. You didn't really specialize until later. I mean, looking at Ben Shelton, that was a similar story with yeah. him. He played football most of his time and then got to, to tennis. I think over-specialization can be a thing. But when you got to that point where you were succeeding and you were doing well at a high level, I'm assuming you had your pick of the litter for colleges. Like, what was it about Stanford that jumped off the page other yeah. than their, their legacy? Yeah, <laughs> just the combination of yeah. academics and athletics at Stanford. Did, was did your unmatched. parents have that? Like, were they like, we urge you, like, we want you to go to a good school if possible, too, not just the tennis hotbed? Yeah, it was always, you know, use your tennis to get into the best school you can and get mm -hmm. a great education and ultimately set me up for my future, whether that be in tennis, whether that be in business, whatever mm -hmm. I wanted to do, it was all about giving myself the opportunity to choose what yeah. I liked. And tennis is a hard profession to break <laughs> into. And, uh, you know, it's tough to make money in tennis and yeah. really make a living. And so certainly if, if you play the odds, you know, that's, it's a small percentage chance, yeah. but I, Still wanted to play pro. I just knew I was started college right when I turned 18. I was yeah. 21 when I graduated. I was a skinny kid that was not physically or yeah. mentally mature enough to go play on the tour. I, I don't think I played my first future until maybe right before I went to college. Wow. Or, the, wow. or going into my senior year. So it was... Like, futures weren't a big thing for me. I played some once I was in college in the summer. But I really didn't, you know, it was one of those, I I wanted to go pro, but I don't think I really believed it or, like, was really sold on it until my sophomore year. It took that college experience to kind of develop you and, you know, get the most out of your tennis career. Not just because of the single success and winning the title, but you were part of a team. Not yeah. Not... In, in the sense of being a doubles team, but also just that team culture with all the guys in the locker room. Like that, cultivating the best out of you is something that I think gets glossed over. It's it's starting to get more noticed now because the college tennis pipeline is thriving. But Yeah, it's nice to see yeah. college tennis players proving time and time mm -hmm. again that it is a viable path. For so long, you're almost frowned upon and written off if you went to college. Did you feel that, like, in the locker room? I mean, with the other players, was maybe not outwardly said, but was there that attitude, like, oh, college, we're not sure? I'd maybe say more on the coach's side oh. of things. Mm -hmm. uh, I never really got the feeling too much from the players. Mm -hmm. I, I certainly grew up, my peers, <laughs> Steve Johnson was... <laughs> And one of my good friends on tour and yeah. here since we were 12 years old. Yeah. He certainly had a <laughs> it's like, stellar college career. It didn't like, hurt you ever, yeah, it's like, Steve, if you would have just gone pro or not gone to college, I could have a couple more national titles. You know, <laughs> I, I think we both yeah. pushed each other. Yeah. I, I think that it it's very helpful to have a guy mm -hmm. of his level mm -hmm. growing up in our backyard. Like, we played doubles together in juniors. Mm -hmm. We played, I can't even count how many times in college, and 
we both pushed each other. Obviously, they got the four team titles. I had the NCAAs in singles my sophomore year, and then he went on that uh, historic tear. <laughs> and <laughs> it was and it was interesting too. You mentioned pushing each other. That historic tear. It wasn't smooth sailing. Like he was battle tested a lot. Yeah, like, that was the crazy thing about yeah, that. Yeah, it was not all <laughs> yeah. smooth for him. Yeah. So at that point, I mean, you you graduated at twenty one, and then you're like, I'm gonna chase his pro career. It's kind of hard to think about this now, but did you see yourself still playing tennis at this point in your career, or was it I'm just gonna take a chance, see how this goes? It could be a short ride. I went in with the mindset that it was. I was just going to give it a try. I, I had no yeah. idea where it was going to go. I loved playing tennis. I wanted to see it through, but I like, I also knew that I had this degree from Stanford that was a great plan B. And no, I I didn't go into it <laughs> thinking like we're going to have a 10, 12-year career. I, I broke through at the U.S. Open in mm-hmm. the summer of 2012, right when I graduated. Uh, it was a wild card, uh, qualified, wild card into qualifying, qualified, won my first round, yeah. and it was one of those yeah. aha moments where it's like, oh, I, I can actually play at this level. Like, yeah. maybe this will mm. turn out to be more than just a short <laughs> flip on the radar yeah. and move on to something else. That said, it took a long time for me to actually learn to be a pro and uh, not that I wasn't professional. I didn't, I, I thought that I always worked hard and I was, that's really what I built my career on was being the one who was willing to get up at 7am and go put mm-hmm. in the extra hours. But I think it, it was more believing in that. Mm-hmm. I lacked a little bit of that self-belief that I could do it day in, day out and mm-hmm. win at the challenger level and work my way up. And it took me, it took me a year from when I graduated yeah. until things really clicked. I'd gotten to about 180 and had a really tough clay court, grass court season, didn't win many matches. The first mm-hmm. time I'd really, I did the full clay court, then grass. Yes. I stayed in Europe for seven straight weeks and I was mentally fried. Yeah. And I just, you learn a lot about yourself over right. there. And I came back and I just, had a sit down with myself and was like, if this is what you want to do, then do it. we're yeah. going to, we're going to go after it. Yeah. And that mindset, it wasn't easy. And I think it, I went on a tear. I finally broke through and made a final yeah. my first week on the hard courts. And then it, it, it mm-hmm. felt like it snowballed, but to get, th- I, I had to save match points in the first round <laughs> of that challenge. Like I remember it very well mm-hmm. because it was such a turning point in my career. More with Bradley Klein here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, I think the point about the challengers is, is a great one because you got to learn how to win as much as anything. Yeah. How to put stuff on the line. And the pro level, the, the ATP tour level is just so tough. And, you know, the best of the best, there's only one winner every week. Right. I think the challenger tour, and, and you've seen players come through that developed those skills and then had success on the ATP level. Are there players your era that you kind of saw on that ground floor before others where you were like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't shock you that they were able to go on to success at the ATP level. I think people don't realize how similar the challenger level and the ATP level actually is. 
Like skill-wise. Skill-wise. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the top guys right, because right, the right. top 10, top 20, <laughs> yeah. like they have separated themselves. And I think there's actually more parity. Like you're seeing more quote-unquote upsets in right. some of these 250s, 500s, Even th- 1,000. Like Struff, Karatsa making runs. Like these are guys that played challengers not too long ago, but I'm sure the tour realizes how good these guys are and what they can do out there. Yeah, I think these top guys are a lot more vulnerable early on than maybe we've seen in a mm-hmm. while. But it's hard. Like, those top guys believe. I think the biggest thing is it's mm-hmm. confidence. It's coming down to belief. They are getting the opportunities. It's hard to break through. Uh, you know, I, I've had a few conversations with people. Just It's almost easier once you break into the top 100 to stay there than actually getting mm-hmm. in there. There's more opportunities. The points yeah. are bigger at the... The tour events, certainly. Sometimes, like, I hate to say it, but sometimes it seems like the people at the challenger level are a little bit hungrier to try and get up there, whereas, like, you can have a, a down week at the tour it's level. It's true. You go and, you know, if you go and make a quarter, <laughs> or a, say you make a final at a 250, 150 yeah. points, you're a quarter of the way to keeping yourself in the top 100 for yeah. the year. Like, if you work backwards and it's straight math, you need about 600 points a year to stay in the yeah. top 100. And that's always been, you know, not saying that that's should be the goal, right. like to, you want know, to push forward mm-hmm. and keep progressing. But the top 100 has been the benchmark yeah. of what a professional is. You keep yourself in the grand slams and you need think, 600 yeah. points to stay in the top 100. Like one final. <laughs> <laughs> I think money too. I mean, you have to play a factor in this too, especially like how and the prize money has gone up. The first round of a Grand Slam now, what that's worth and what you know what those early round matchups are. I do think you see really hungry players that go through qualifiers that are yeah. even lucky losers. And I don't want to say top players aren't motivated, but if a player's coming in banged up, the, the hunger is not there that specific week. Right. Those upsets might not be as shocking when you take all that into account. Right. Definitely. And I think the pros recognize that it's a long season and you have to try and stay as stable as possible because the tour and the the swings in different countries <laughs> and different surfaces, yeah. it is a lot of variables <laughs> yeah. that can provide for that roller coaster. It's like a great emotions. life, but it's also a pretty stressful, strenuous life. Yeah, yeah. it's it's tough. <laughs> yeah. It's great. You know, it's it's hard, but nothing. You I get mean, to it's the old the cliche that nothing sport. in yeah. life. That's worthwhile is easy, and you get to see some amazing cities, and yeah. these are places that I might never get back to. And <laughs> now you don't necessarily realize that when you're younger. Mm-hmm. You go to the U.S. Open, you go to Wimbledon. I remember playing my first Wimbledon main draw in 2014. <laughs> you're like, "Oh, this is awesome! Like, I'm going to be here for ten more years." <laughs> and I've played two other main draws mm-hmm. in Wimbledon with various injuries, whatnot. But like, you never know when, yeah. like. The professional athlete's life is short. Mm-hmm. Mm. We see across sports, yeah. football, basketball, yeah. baseball here in the States. Like Generally, the lifespan of a professional athlete is is small. Yeah. In tennis, you can control, like you can go down and play features and you have, you're not at the whim of a team trying to sign you, but it's right. still. And the health issue. I mean, we saw with Contivate retiring at 27, number yeah. two in the world two years ago and now retired. It's. It's it's tough, and and I do think it's gotten better. But where do you see, I guess, financially speaking, where the game and the tour is for players in that mid level range, like sixty and down? 
it is unfortunate that still it goes without saying that the 60th best basketball player in the world, everyone knows their name. They're making tons of money. Right. I do think it's gotten better though. So how do you see where we are tennis wise for that mid class and mid to low class? Yeah, I think you're continuing to see improvements across the tour. Certainly the grand mm-hmm. slams are focusing the majority of their prize money increases on the early rounds. You're seeing some bumps up in qualifying mm-hmm. ATP uh, challenger tour announced their first prize money increase at the 75 and a hundred mm. level, I believe this year for the first time in a while that had been pretty mm. stagnant. So look, I think the tour is certainly recognizing that to have a healthy, sustainable tour, you do, yeah, you do need <laughs> more than just the top guys. Certainly yeah. it's tough because the top guys are the ones that they draw the eyeballs. Yeah. They, have put in the work they they drive revenue like i mean it, it's true call yeah. it what <laughs> it is yeah. everybody wants to watch Federer, djokovic nadal and Federer, first nadal djokovic it's like they were the the like, wild card concept is exists for that reason like right. and it's good for everybody if if Federer, i mean his example is retired but it's say like a andy murray for example when he was lower ranked Wild card's great for him. If you're in that tournament, it's going to help everybody involved. And there is that argument that goes with no one really deserves a wild card, so it's up to the tournament to bring the most eyeballs yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ultimately, the tournament <laughs> pays the prize money. Yeah. They have to yeah. – like, they're in it for a business, too. Yeah. They need to try and turn a profit. And what's yeah. going to bring sponsors, media, yeah. uh-huh. fans? What's going to put butts in seats? Yeah. It's the top guys, the – Stars. I mean, that's why like <laughs> a guy like Nick Kyrgios brings a lot of money in. Um, yeah. And I think you're seeing something like that. That's why I think like Francis Tiafo is great for the sport. And obviously as an American and seeing his story and seeing him finally be able to crack the top 10. Yeah. It's awesome. But I just think he's another guy that and he does it in such a positive, joyous way that's entertaining, but still like, fun loving and it's just yeah. hard not to <laughs> of course know, it, it's hard not to like root for him like yeah he's just a great guy so i think like having guys like that that are continuing to bring eyeballs to the sport which ultimately is going to generate the revenue yeah no it's 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 true i think we've gotten to a better place and rome wasn't built in the day as the adage goes so it's getting there doubles has been an avenue as well and it's starting to see people make livings there American Austin Krychek getting to number one in the world. It was great to see. I did have one thing on doubles, though. So, guy producing, friend of mine for any years, Jeff Chisiver, yeah. who I know you guys crossed paths back in the day. He told me that. He didn't, yeah. mention, he didn't mention the set score. So, yeah. <laughs> But uh, he was always been talking doubles because that's what he played at Cal. And he said that, I wanted your take on this, the partners have to have a good, like, fist bump reaction. Like, that's key to everything. So. It helps being <laughs> yeah. great friends with your partner. Yeah. I was lucky enough yeah. that. My best friend in college was Ryan Thatcher, and he was also my doubles partner for three and a half years. So, yeah. look, it just helps building that team chemistry. I mean, you look at the best yeah. doubles team in history. Bob and Mike Bryan had. You can say that's unfair, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> well, it's just not yeah, fair. but you got <laughs> yeah. a built-in partner yeah. coming out of the womb, so yeah. Yeah. makes things a little easier. But it no, it's true. Like, I think the best doubles teams like good communication. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so true. Uh, wrapping this up, you know, looking at your career now, and you're you're still going and battling injuries, unfortunately, but still motivated to compete. What does drive you to keep going and you know finish this story of your pro career on your own terms? 
I think you nailed it right there. It's been finishing my pro career on my own terms, being able to enjoy the tournaments one last time. Um, and if it's not the last time, like <laughs> great, but like almost with this mindset of, you know, I've missed the better part of four years with injuries. I've, I've been a professional for 11 years, mm -hmm. but I've only been on tour probably mm -hmm. seven of that. And mm -hmm. so trying to go and, like understand these experiences yeah. are special. They're they don't last forever as much as you might think when mm -hmm. you're twenty two, twenty three, you don't see that bigger picture. But I think I've lived through it all. I've had the ups and downs yeah. and I start to see more of the bigger picture of not just like right. this one match is the end all be all, but how does this fit into my life in general and yeah. and try and have fun and have fun off the court. Go explore the cities. Yeah. Uh, and just take advantage, and when the time comes, the time comes. It's great, and I think it, it's a lesson to a lot of people in perseverance that you have the opportunity to keep pushing, and you're going to have to sacrifice a lot, and it's going to be tough, but ultimately it is worth it to write the end of your own story. And you've been a part of an American boom of tennis, I would say, because the last couple of years we've seen different generations of now even younger guys coming up I've just continued to push. So I'm, I'm hopeful that 20 year slam drought's going to break at some point. I hope so. <laughs> it's been fun to see, you know, I remember when I first started on tour being the young guy and seeing the old, yep. older Americans that were wrapping up their career and just blink. And all of a sudden you're, you're the old, the old yeah, <laughs> veteran yeah. that's figuring out how to tie a bow on his yeah. career. And you see all these young up and comers, take over the tour but it's i'm certainly hopeful it's great to see two yeah. americans back in the top 10 yeah could be a time for wimbledon too i mean i don't know if you have any quick takes on that with wimbledon coming up but obviously Djokovic's the resounding favorite but i was going through my list of players that can make a run and there's some americans on there fritz corda even has looked good yeah you know corda nice win over yeah. francis yesterday on the grass it's hard to go <laughs> against Djokovic. In any Grand Slam, I'd say right now, I think he's still mm -hmm. the clear favorite until he proves otherwise at any Grand Slam, but particularly mm -hmm. on the grass, I just don't think that these younger players, they're great ball strikers, phenomenal talents, but nobody's really shown yeah. the understanding of grass court tennis and the differences from the clay and hard mm -hmm. that I mean, Novak's just mastered. <laughs> I, heard, uh, I heard an interview with... Uh, Darian King once where he talked about Djokovic and he, and he put it perfectly. I wish I would have thought of it. Honestly, it's like no one knows a court geometrically better than him. Yeah. Like just all your, and grass is the one where it's the hardest to figure out. Cause you just don't play on it. Even right. Alcaraz you've seen kind of be a little unsure movements and how to approach different things. And Djokovic is just so everything is like a chessboard. Yeah. He knows all the right moves. Yeah. He's, I think, <laughs> is he not lost there since 2017 or yeah, 17 when he retired with an injury. Yeah, okay, that's <laughs> yeah. just yeah an absurd uh -huh. stat. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Well, Bradley Kwan, this was great. Uh, very, very last thing here on Tennis Channel Inside In. I wanted to just know if we had any hobbies. You're a tough person to track down. I think golf because I saw you at the waste open waste management. Yeah, open. so I'm getting back into <laughs> golf. My girlfriend's got the itch as well. We've gone to a few yeah. tournaments this year and. We were out visiting her parents in Scottsdale and came across the NCAAs there in Stanford. My alma mater was playing yeah. out there, so we went over a few days and yeah. started you know, make a few trips to Top Golf. <laughs> and I, I haven't played as much with my back, but 
Yeah. Uh, I definitely am starting to play a little yeah. bit more and more. And when I hang up the sticks, yeah. I'll, uh, you'll probably find me on the golf course <laughs> hey, a lot more than the tennis a, courts. That's a classic tennis player transition, yeah. tennis to golf. Yeah. It's the easy one to make. Well, Bradley yeah. Klein, appreciate you coming on. Best of luck as you continue your comeback on the court. And good seeing you around. Colin Match is already a natural in the booth. Thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mitch. Huge thanks to both Steve Weissman and Bradley Klein for appearing as guests on this week's show. And if you like the episode, check out the entire catalog on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. It's really simple. Just go to tennis.com slash podcast. You'll find this show and our collection of star-studded shows on the network. And Inside In is on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, to name a few. You can get every episode automatically loaded into your tablet, into your computer, into your phone. It's really simple. Just subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. We're back next week in the lead up to Wimbledon. A lot to discuss on the tennis calendar. You're not going to want to miss our coverage on this show and on the entire network. It's going to be a great, great fortnight at the All England Club. We're in the heart of major tennis season, and I can't wait to see how it unfolds. For Bradley Klein and Steve Weissman, my name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.